This is going to need adjustment too, Peter. Can you can you lower this down a little bit? You don't want to do is let Pastor Rick be the tech guy here. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Well, good morning, church family. You know how to tighten this? Thanks, Peter. Beauty. Thank you, Peter. Wasn't that baptism video awesome? What a blessing to uh, see that imagery of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 is people going under the water, identifying with Jesus in their death, in his death, but then coming out of the water, walking a new life. I, uh, if you've read Romans 6, that's how Paul explains the symbolism of that beautiful thing. If the Apostle Paul had done baptisms at Kailua Beach, I think he might have, and this is total speculation, I think he might have added another element about the waves of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because I don't know if you noticed, but the, the power of those waves just surging and take, taking people, maybe almost knocking them down before they're baptized, but taking them on in their life of Christ. And of course, it's life in the Spirit in our new thing. So that was a beautiful thing. Um, isn't it a blessing to have Pastor Mark as lead pastor of New Hope Kailua? Anybody blessed by that? I am, uh, I am totally blessed by that. And uh, this last week, <clears throat> I had a friend actually ask me, said, Pastor Rick, <laughs> you've been lead pastor for 36 years. So how's it going for you in, you know, after a month of not being the lead pastor, of being in a support role? And I thought about it and I said, well, you know, I think I'm doing okay because, like, Pastor Mark hasn't fired me yet. <laughs> and... Uh, we actually have kind of a funny family story, and I'm going to share it. There's a couple of versions to it. You need to know mine is the accurate historical version. Pastor Mark has his version, but I'll tell you what actually happened, okay? So when Mark was 16 years old, we, uh, we, I was pastoring a church that had a sanctuary, but it was a multi-purpose room. In other words, we set up chairs for Sunday morning service, and then we took down the chairs for the midweek because there were a couple of children's programs, and it was a great open area for kids to play games and run around. Then the chairs had to be set, set up again for Sunday morning service. So we had a job in the church. It was just a two-hour job. It took like two hours to sweep the floor and then set up the chairs for Sunday morning service. And it needed to be like on a Saturday night because it was used Friday night and it was used in the midweek. So <clears throat> we had a college student and we paid, I think it was like $15 an hour for a two-hour job. It wasn't a big deal, but he would come on Saturday night, sweep the floors, set up the chairs. That college student graduated, moved on, and there was an opening for the chair job. Now, Mark was 16 years old, and he said, Dad, I'd like to apply for the chair job. So I said, sure. I said, I'll go to the leadership of the church, and there weren't any other applicants, so <laughs> Mark, Mark got the job, okay? So it was his job to show up on a Saturday night, set up the chairs, and, and um, get ready for Sunday morning. First few weeks, he did great, did great. But if you know Pastor Mark, he is a people person. He loves people. He loved hanging out with his friends, and I think it kind of coincided with him getting his driving license. So on a Saturday night, he was out there, and he was hanging out with his friends. And um, having an early morning, I always went to bed uh, early on Saturday night uh, because I'd be uh, at the church at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning for the 8 o'clock service. So one Sunday morning, I drove up. Pastor Mark, well, he wasn't pastor then. He was 16 years old. He had totally forgotten to do the chairs. 
And so I showed up at 6 o'clock. There were no chairs. The service was going to start in, at 8 o'clock, and people were going to be showing up. And so I got on the phone. There were no cell phones in those days, I remember. Got on the phone, got Martha. I said, get Mark out of bed. Their service, the youth service, wasn't until 10 o'clock, so at 6 o'clock in the morning, he was fast asleep. Get Mark out of bed. He's got to get to the church. Get this chair set up. That's his job. So sure enough, Mark scrambled, and we're all hustling, and it's stressful, but he got it done. Okay? Week or two went by, and he did fine, but then it happened a second time. I showed up at church at 6 o'clock. None of the chairs were up. I got on the phone to Martha. Get Mark over here. He's going to set up the chairs. Church is starting. That afternoon, I thought, I need to have a heart-to-heart with my son. <laughs> and so I said, uh, Mark, we need to talk about this chair job. And Mark said, yeah, Dad. He said, I really don't think I want to do it. <laughs> and I said, no, son, you are not quitting. I am firing you. <laughs> I am firing you. I actually fired my own son. Um, but it was a good call because Mark learned a very good work ethic, and he's been, had a great work ethic till then. But I... But, that's part of our family history. He's the only son I've had that I've had to fire. But um, that's why I'm a little bit worried about what might come back. You know, what goes around, comes around. Just kidding. Um, it's a beautiful thing. So this morning's message about how not to get fired by your old man. No, it's not. I'm just kidding about that, too. This morning, we kick off this wonderful, powerful book called Galatians. I hope you've read this book. It's a short book. It's only about six chapters. It is a powerful book, and it's a life-changing book. And you know what? The Holy Spirit wants to change your life through it and mine. And we're going to talk about what he wants to do in your life and in my life through this powerful and purposeful book, the book of Galatians. He wants to change your life for your blessing, for your goodness, and for God's glory. And so we're going to look forward to that in the series. In order to show or maybe introduce you to the power and the purpose of this book, let me uh, ask you to engage your imagination for a moment. Imagine with me that you have a terrible disease. You have cancer. And it's not just any cancer. It's an untreatable cancer. There's no treatment for it. There's no surgery for it. There's nothing can be done. You have a termination date. And not only do you have this untreatable cancer, but guess what? Everybody in this room has the same cancer. It's untreatable, there's no hope, there's no help. And not only that, we're, everyone in the whole state, okay, there's like a pandemic of this thing. Everyone in the whole state is infected with this untreatable cancer. No hope, no help. But one day something amazing happens. An angel from heaven, an angel, a supernatural being from heaven comes to you and says, here's a remedy for this cancer. Here's a prescription. Here's a medicine. If you take this, you will be healed from that cancer, from that untreatable cancer. And not only that, good news is, you can share it with your family. You can share it with your friends. You can share it with your neighbors. And I'm commissioning you, I'm sending you on a mission to take this medicine and give it to others. Take it yourself, give it to others. So of course what you would do, you would take this uh, wonderful healing medicine and you would take it into your own life and start noticing that your, your symptoms are going into remission. And then you would share it with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with people in your community. And here's the beautiful thing about this medicine. People can pass it on to others as well. 
So when you pass it on to family members, they can pass it on to others. So this medicine starts spreading right from here in Kailua to Kaneohe to Waimanalo to Honolulu. It's spreading all over the islands and people are going into remission from this terrible, deadly cancer. Well, you realize it's not just Oahu needs this, so you decide you're going to travel to the outer islands and you're going to take that medicine, you're going to share it with other people and you're going to see it spread and people healed on other islands. And so you do that and you're taking this medicine to other islands. But one day when you're sharing this medicine on another island, you get a phone call and what's happened in Oahu? What's happened in Kailua? The very first people you gave that medicine to there are a group of people saying, hey, there's a different medicine you should be taking. And they changed the formula of the medicine that the angel gave you. And they added to it, but they added to it a medicine that made it ineffective. It didn't work anymore. So you've been given this life-giving, this life-changing medicine, but other people are messing it up. So how would you feel? Well, you'd feel angry. You know, what gave them the right to change the message the angel gave me? And, and, and it's not working for other people, and you'd be upset that people were actually taking that and, and sharing it with others when it was, catch this, fake medicine. <laughs> fake medicine. Well, if you get that idea, you'll get an idea of what's happening in the book of Galatians. Because in the book of Galatians, in the Apostle Paul's day, something far more serious than untreatable cancer was happening. People had come down with the disease of sin, and by the way, it is a disease that you have and that I have, that everyone in Hawaii, that everyone in the world has. It's not just a physical element, ailment, it's a spiritual ailment, and it leads to death. It destroys our relationships, our relationships with people, more even significantly our relationship with God. This spiritual disease of death... And yet, the Apostle Paul is given a remedy for this spiritual disease. And by the way, he's not given it by an angel. He's given it by the risen Jesus Christ himself. This is not an angelic message. This is God's message. And it's called the gospel of grace, the good news of grace. And so the Apostle Paul uh, meets Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, sees Jesus, and Jesus gives him this medicine, if you will, this spiritual medicine that heals people from their sins, that brings forgiveness of sins, that brings the gift of the Holy Spirit, that brings the gift of eternal life, that knits people into God's new forever family, all of these spiritual benefits. It's all there in the spiritual medicine. And, and Jesus gives it to Paul and says, now share it. Take it and, and spread it on earth. So he's doing that. And he's traveling around. And he travels to a place called Galatia, a region called Galatia. It's modern-day Turkey. If you look it up in your Bible map, it's, and he preaches the gospel, and he shares, and he plants churches in the area of modern-day Turkey, Galatia. Then he's traveling on beyond that, and he gets word that a group of people have distorted the gospel that he had shared, that not only he had shared, but he had been given by the risen Christ. And they had distorted it in a way, they had added to it in a way that poisoned it. It no longer worked because it was a false gospel. And he was upset. And you need to read, when you read the book of Galatians, he says some pretty harsh things. Understandably, because the stakes were high, people were messing up with the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. Who were these people and why were they doing that? Well, they're called the Judaizers 
or the, the party of the circumcision. These were people coming out of a Jewish background for centuries. God had related to his people, the Jewish people, as a nation through the law, through circumcision. Circumcision was a mark on the male body that, that reminded them of God's promise to Abraham. It's the, it was his, the reproductive organ, and it, it reminded people of the promise that God was going to make them into a great nation. He was going to give them many descendants. He was going to give them reproductive power. But that was part of the nation and the covenant and the people of God before Jesus. And when Jesus came, he made all things new. And he was making a new family. And he was calling people not to be under the law, but to relate to God through faith in Jesus and faith alone. And that's the issue. So we're going to get there in a moment. But I want you to start realizing uh, the scene again is that the Apostle Paul had preached the gospel of grace. Others had distorted to it. They had added to it. They had brought the law into it. They had brought circumcision, holy days that were prescribed in Israel's covenant. And Paul says, once you start adding the law to that, why, where, why end there? If, you, if you're going to practice some of the law, you have to practice all of the law. And uh, we're going to see that that was not a good thing. Not only did they change the gospel, but they uh, took the life out of the gospel. They gave a message that wasn't the, uh, the gospel of grace that Paul had been given that is key to us living the life of freedom. Now, just before we start, we're going to look at Galatians 1 this morning. I want you to see the big picture of Galatians is this. Here's the message of Galatians, and it's uh, up on there in your notes. If you haven't got our church app, here's a good reason to get church app. You can download the notes that show up on the screen for your own personal meditation, your own study. We actually have a special today. You can get the app for $9.95 plus free shipping. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So let me look at me. It's a free app. <laughs> it's a free app. You just have to go to our website, download it, and you can get um, all of the information, plus keep in touch. So just another reason to, to jump in on our app. Here's the big idea of the book of Galatians. Freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. The gospel of grace is key, believing it, living it, to experience that freedom. But the bigger picture is freedom. And I want us to... Uh, See in your notes, Christ has set us free to live in his new family. He's got a new family. Um, Jew, Gentile, uh, rich, poor, uh, doesn't matter what your social status is. Handsome and even more handsome. <laughs> Everybody's involved in God's family that has faith in Jesus Christ. And it's no longer just Israel and the law. It's a whole new day. It's a whole new family. And he's called us to live in freedom through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're set free from the law, but we're given the inner resource to, be, uh, to live lives that honor God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the key, freedom. Now, when I thought about it this last week, uh, I wanted to give you a, a visual, maybe a real uh, powerful image of Paul's message of freedom. Um, any of you raise your hands to see the movie with Mel Gibson, Braveheart? Do you remember Braveheart, Mel Gibson? A bunch of you did. Good. Some of you will. There's an iconic scene in there. There's a classic scene when Mel Gibson is riding a horse in front of his troops, and he's rallying the troops for battle. He's got his painted face on. He's looking powerful. And he, runs, he rides his horse in front of his troop, and he yells out, Freedom! Remember that scene? Powerful scene. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we got Pastor Mark? 
and we painted his face and we put him on a horse and he rode into the sanctuary and shouted, freedom in Jesus. And I thought, we can do that. But then our landlord said, no, we don't want a horse in the sanctuary. So we had to put a nix on that idea. But if you cap capture that idea, that's what Paul is doing in this book. He's calling people to spiritual freedom. But it's spiritual freedom in the gospel of grace. Let me just share with you a couple of verses, and they're, they're in your notes. It is for freedom. Here's a key verse in the book, chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then in that freedom. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. To people who were preaching that you needed to trust Jesus and obey the slavery of the law, the yoke of the law, he said no. It's all about Jesus and the freedom of the Spirit in him. So, Jesus has set us free, Christ has set us free from the penalty of our sins through the cross, from the power of our sins. He's given us the Holy Spirit that we can overcome those habits and addictions and self-destructive stuff. And he gives us the power to be victorious, to live the winning Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit. He sets us free from legalism, from laws that aren't Christ's laws, that are people-made-up laws. He sets us free from all sorts of things because there are all sorts of things that all of us struggle with. Uh, every one of us needs to be set free in Christ from all sorts of different yokes. And we're going to look at that, start looking at it this morning. What is it that Christ needs to set you free from? Because there are things he's at work liberating all of us, including me. And so that's what we're going to explore and ask the Spirit to lead us in so that this will be a life-changing study. Informational, yes, but we want Jesus to change our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he set us free from all of these things, and he does it through the true gospel, what we can call the gospel of grace. So in your notes, the, uh, God, let, let's just highlight from the beginning. The gospel of grace looks like this. It's sa being saved. It's being made right with God by grace, by God's undeserved favor, through faith in Jesus. Period. <laughs> no, no additions. Okay? And in contrast to the false gospel that was being preached in Galatia, we're going to see it was salvation by faith in Christ plus works of the law. They were adding works of the law. And Paul is saying, that's not the gospel of grace. That's poisoning the gospel of grace. That's rendering it ineffective. And it's a false gospel. And um, so Paul is going to say that. And here's just a couple of key verses that highlight that. And then we're going to look at Galatians 1 uh, together. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, and probably sinful Gentiles should be in quotation marks because the Jews were just as sinful as the Gentiles, but the Gentiles outside the covenants of God were kind of perceived as even farther from God. In any case, we know that a person is not justified, not declared righteous before God. That's what it technically means. Not made right with God by the works of the law, but by what? Faith in Jesus Christ, in what Christ did on the cross for your sins, in his res resurrection. So we too have put our faith in Jesus. And if you look carefully at these two verses, three times Paul says it's faith in Jesus Christ, it's faith in Jesus Christ, it's faith in Jesus Christ, it's not justified by the works of the law, not justified works of the law, three times. So even fast people like us should be able to pick it up, right? That's what he is wanting us to center on. He says a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus, second time, that we might be justified by faith in Jesus, third time, and not by works of the law, second time, not law, works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It's all about the gospel of grace doesn't add works. It's by grace. He says, mark my words in chapter five, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, if you bite into this part of the law, you're under the whole law. Christ will be of no value to you at all if you're adding an element that changes the gospel. Then Christ of no value to you. It's not okay to mess with the gospel. Follow the prescription that God has given you. Don't add your own stuff to it. That's what he's saying. Again, I declare to you, and the stakes are high here, friends, because... Um, um, people's eternal salvation is at stake. Yes, their freedom in this life, but their spiritual freedom for eternity. He says this, mark my words, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will, will be of no value. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey, catch this, the whole law. If you're going to add part of it, you've got to add the whole law. Uh, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, from the gospel of grace, from the, the belief and the life that says, I'm trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not performance, not adding any works to that. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Now, just a minor observation. There's many of us, including me, that I'm glad, glad we're not under the whole law because, you know, he, Paul's point here is, if you're, if you're going to accept part of the law, circumcision, some of the holy days, then why not the whole law? Why not the food laws? That was part of the law that was done away with. Thank God he did away with that because a lot of us like bacon and eggs, <laughs> like lobster. You couldn't eat bacon. You couldn't eat lobster under the food laws of the covenant with Israel. And all of that is gone now. And uh, we can have BLTs and not sin. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, minor, but... Let's not miss the point that Paul is reestablishing with the people he'd already preached what the gospel, the true gospel is. It's a gospel of grace. Grace is, and you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, apart from any works, and don't add works to it. This was what was going on in Thessalonica. So this morning I want us to just look in the time we have at four reasons. Because when Paul kicks off this book, four reasons that I see in Galatians chapter 1 where um, we ought to not just believe in the gospel of grace, we need to live in the gospel of grace. And so four of these things. Number one, the gospel of grace originate in God's ultimate authority. Paul starts this book and he says, this isn't a man-made message. This isn't the Apostle Paul's idea. It's certainly not the, the uh, Pastor Rick's idea or some church council or anybody. This comes from Jesus himself, risen from the dead with all authority. He introduces himself, Paul, an apostle. What's an apostle? Just a sent one. But those witnesses of Jesus, eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection who were commissioned with the gospel, they, they took on a, a special meaning of apostle. Um, in either case, Paul was commissioned by Christ, sent by Christ. He says this, not from men. <laughs> this isn't a human idea. This isn't a good idea some Christians came up with or the early church thought this would be a good thing. No, he says, but it comes from Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Ultimate authority, ultimate power. By the way, um, that's why I'm a follower of Jesus. There's only one person in all of human history who conquered death. 
Lots of teachers, lots of leaders, lots of people to respect, including, you know, the queen. A lot of people around the world have great respect for the queen who passed on, and it was wonderful to see her living faith in Jesus. But there's no one in all of human history who conquered death and can help me when I face death. But Jesus demonstrated that. He has ultimate authority, and guess what? The gospel of grace is his message. So when we share it with people, we don't have to be... Uh, people don't like the message. People disagree with the message. They're not messing with you. Their issue really is with Jesus. And, and, and we can just, you know, take the role of saying, this is what, what Christ has spoken. I'm just the relayer of the message. And um, it's his message. But that's one reason to believe in and, and to uh, live in the gospel of grace is because it comes from Jesus. And with that, God's ultimate authority. It's his message. And um, that's why it should not be messed with. Secondly, the gospel of grace generates spiritual blessings and it glorifies God. And that shouldn't surprise us, but Paul says to this, when he speaks to the people he's writing to, he says, grace and peace, spiritual blessings to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory. It's about the glory of God. The gospel of grace is about the glory of God forever and ever. So uh, this, God, this gospel of grace, it generates spiritual, it generates grace. And it generates not only a message of grace that we're saved by God's sheer undeserved favor. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But out of love and mercy, he gives it to us. That medicine, if you will, that cures us from spiritual sin. And once we receive that, he gives us not only saving grace, he gives us serving grace. He empowers us by the Holy Spirit, uh, gives us the energy, gives us the power, gives us the strength to overcome the things that we face in life. And so it's a serving uh, grace as well. These spiritual benefits flow out of the gospel of grace. Grace and peace, shalom, wholeness, fullness, uh, not just the absence of conflict, but harmony, well-being in your relationships. This flows out of the gospel of grace in our relationships with each other, in our relationships with God. Shalom, spiritual blessing. And then the third one, of course, he mentions is that he uh, gives us the forgiveness of sins. Gave himself for our sins. He died on the cross and suffered the right penalty for our sins on the cross so that we can be forgiven. All of these spiritual blessings come to us through the gospel of grace. And so that's a second reason. And it all glorifies God. Have you thought about that? If it's, if it's believe in Jesus plus do these works, plus have a moral performance, plus live a good life, then um, at, we get at least some of the credit, right? We, because we did what we were supposed to do. But that's not the gospel of grace. You can't add to what Jesus did. So let me put it this way. You know, your ultimate destiny and mine in Christ is, by the way, not just to be with God in heaven forever. It's a new creation. It's a new resurrected spiritual body like Jesus has. And a new heavens and a new earth and reigning with Christ over the new creation. That's what the whole Bible, but especially the last two chapters of Revelation. So imagine that you see Pastor Rick in the new creation, in his glorified resurrection body, right? 
And you say, wow, Pastor Rick, it's so good that you're here that not only did you trust Jesus, but you were circumcised and you did these works and, and you did a pretty good job as a pastor and, and you were faithful as a husband. It's got nothing to do with my works. It will be everything to do. And, and when I see you, it won't be, hey, it's wonderful to see you in the new creation and, and thank God that you did this and this and this. It's not about your works. There'll be one thing that we'll say to each other in the new creation. Isn't it wonderful that God loved us enough that in Jesus he met all of our needs and we're here because of Jesus. And anything that we do in our lives is just a response of gratitude and love and faith to Jesus. But that's not why we're here. We don't earn it. We didn't deserve it. No matter how great a husband or a wife you are or a parent or no matter how faithful, those are all good things, but those are not the things that make you right with God. And so uh, Paul is saying here that this glorifies God because God is going to be glorified. It's going to be praise Jesus from all of us in the new creation that we're here because it's all about what he did and uh, not about what we added to Jesus. You can't add to what Jesus did on the cross. So that's the gospel of grace. We should believe in it because it originates in God's authority. Uh, it generates these spiritual blessings and it glorifies God. But there's a third thing. It's the single remedy for salvation that if you take that gospel and you add something to it you poison it you change it you render it ineffective and that's what had Paul upset and should have us upset when we hear fake gospels false gospels being preached it's always about what Jesus did on the cross the gospel of grace and not adding anything to that some of us maybe were raised in a church where it was about believing in Jesus plus fill in the blank confessional, fill in the blank, trusting Jesus and showing up at church. Now, going to church is a great thing, but it's not a requirement of salvation, and uh, we shouldn't make it that way. Uh, we should recognize that when we're baptized into the, by the Spirit into the body of Christ, we're in relationships, and we're called to be a part of a church family, but that's not how we're saved, and so we need to make that distinction. Again, it comes down to Jesus, period. Uh, the gospel of Jesus, period, not the gospel of Jesus plus uh, fill in the blank. So the gospel of grace is God's single remedy for salvation. Paul says this, I am astonished. Okay, the image, he's on an outer island, he's writing back, and somebody's messing up the message here. Someone's changed the prescription and, and is ruining it, and it's affecting people's lives because they're giving them a false medicine. And so he's upset. I am astonished that you Galatians are so quickly deserting the one. They're deserting Christ who called you to what? Live in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel, a different message than the one Paul had preached, that the one that Paul had been given by Jesus, which is really no gospel at all. It's not good news. And you think about that, and it's true. If it's believe in Jesus plus do this and this and this, well, how much this and this and this is enough? And all of a sudden, you're living by some kind of a task list. I got to do this. I got to do that's death in the pot. <laughs> a bunch of rules and regulations of how you need to live your life. I hope you're not living your Christian life that way because it's not about Jesus and a bunch of rules that you have to live by. It's about Jesus and what he's done for you and experiencing his spirit changing your life in all of these God-glorifying and life-blessing ways. And that's what Paul wants to remind these Galatians and, and uh, get them back on track with the gospel that he had given them. He says this, uh, uh, 
It's really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. They're giving you a fake gospel. And we've seen it's going to be the Judaizers. People are adding elements of the law to faith in Christ, what he did on the cross, and, and they're poisoning it by adding to it. And the stakes are high. Even if we, even if Pastor Rick or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Whoa, he says, why? Why is he so harsh about this? Because people's lives are at stake. Their spiritual freedom is at stake. Their eternal destiny at stake. And he's saying, if someone's preaching a fake gospel, he's saying basically, let them go to hell. Let them be under God's curse. Because this is crucial. This is essential. This is life-giving. If you didn't get it the first time, he says it a second time. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Part of what's going on is people were accusing Paul. You're just preaching a gospel of grace because you're, you're um, submitting to the Gentiles. You're, uh, taking, you're relaxing the law so that Gentiles will be happy with you so they don't have to be circumcised and they don't have to be under the law. He says, no, I'm not pleasing men. I'm pleasing Christ. This is Christ's message. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm not trying to win anybody's approval. I'm seeking to do what Jesus has given me. So he says this, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And his whole point is, he's a servant of Christ. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Some of us are old enough to remember in 1982. Uh, raise your hand if you were conscious in 1982. You might have been two years old and conscious. Okay, some of us were around in 1980. Do you remember it was a... It rocked the nation when somebody, remember the Tylenol pills? Somebody, in 1982 in Chicago, somebody took Tylenol uh, bottles off of a drugstore uh, shelf and they put cyanide in it. They laced it, they added an element and it was a deadly element, remember that? Seven people died because they just bought some Tylenol. They took the Tylenol, it was laced with, laced with cyanide and they died. And you know what, they never found the villain who poisoned those Tylenol things, but it, it changed the world literally. After that, Tylenol started putting caps on there so you could tell when you bought Tylenol that nobody had gotten into the thing, bottle. And not just Tylenol, everything. Now you go to the drugstore, any store, there's protective measures so that people don't mess with the product. And they certainly don't put poison in there, okay? This is what's going on with the Apostle Paul. These Judaizers, they were poisoning the gospel. They were adding something to it that was lethal spiritually because it led people away from the gospel of grace, the life-changing, eternal-changing gospel of Jesus. And Paul is saying, don't mess with God's prescription. Get the remedy right. It's the gospel of grace. It's not the gospel of grace plus adding stuff to it. So that's uh, the gospel of grace. It's God's single remedy for, for um salvation and you don't mess with it final thing we've seen see from this chapter a final reason to believe and live out the gospel of grace it is the revelation of jesus christ transforms people's lives and uh, i'm not going to take the time you can read it later in your notes but in this next section he says this basically he reminds him this revelation i got from jesus paul met jesus 
when Christ uh, revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, and you know the story, Paul was this zealous Jewish person. If anybody should be wanting to hold on to the law, it was the apostle Paul. He'd been raised in the law. He practiced the law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But he met Jesus, and Jesus liberated him, forgave his sins, and the guy who was persecuting the church became the preacher in the church or the proclaimer of the gospel. And it was a wonderful illustration of how God's gospel of grace changes a life. Paul experienced it in his own life. He's saying, this is a message from heaven. It's from Jesus, but it changes people's lives on earth. And here's a great illustration of that. My life. I've been changed by the gospel of grace. And um, um, you go ahead, raise your hand if your life has been changed by the gospel of grace. If you realize it's about what Christ has done. Thank you. That's where we're at. We need to live in that. We need to believe in it. And we need to live it out because it's Jesus' message from heaven. And it transforms people's lives on earth. And again, we come back to our heart at, uh, in our church family is over these next few weeks to allow Jesus to continue to transform our lives by the gospel of grace. None of us have been totally liberated. Okay? None of us have been totally freed. There are things that, that uh, Jesus wants to liberate each of us with. And so let me close this morning with two things. And I'll invite the uh, worship team to come forward because I want to just lead us in a meditation and uh, maybe have the uh, worship team play some music, uh, uh, help set our hearts to engage the Holy Spirit with this. Here's the two takeaways. Um, here's the two takeaways that I would ask you to consider in your own heart, just privately, but the first one is this. Am I believing the gospel of grace? Are you trusting this morning in Jesus, his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of your sins, period? <laughs> Not Jesus plus. Jesus, period. The cross of Christ, everything he's done for you, are you trusting in that? Is that what you're holding on to to make you right with God? That's the gospel of grace. You realize there's nothing you can do to earn it, nothing you do to deserve it, nothing you can do to add to it. You can just put your faith in Jesus and receive the gift of salvation, gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of being part of God's new family, the gift of eternal life, the gift of new creation, all of that is just based on you receiving and putting your trust in Jesus and not adding to it. The second thing, and I'll just invite you to uh, meditate on that, but um, from what do you need the Lord Jesus to set you free from? Okay, would you just do a little bit of heart work now to say, what, what does Jesus need to set you free from? I know what he's seeking to set me free from. And, and as you meditate, let's just, uh, let me just invite you to close your eyes and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Close your eyes in prayer and just maybe let the prompting of God to your own heart. It might be one of these things. It might be he needs to set you free from a bad habit. Maybe it's overspending. Maybe it's uh, financial irresponsibility. Maybe it's overeating not taking good care of your health. Maybe it's wasting time on social media. What is it that God wants to set you free from? That in some ways you have a, a yoke of slavery to those things, a bad habit. It could be even more powerful than that. It could be an addiction. Maybe you have a yoke of slavery to alcohol or to drugs or to pornography and it's got a grip in your life. And it's controlling you. It's making you a slave to it. And Jesus wants to set you free from that yoke. 
Maybe it's some practices of your old life. Before you trusted Christ, you were into this and into that, but it really isn't part of your life of following Jesus, but you just have a hard time letting it go. It's just being kind of ingrained in you. And it's time to let Jesus set you free from that. That's not part of the Christ life that he has called you to. Maybe it's, catch this, a yoke of selfishness. <laughs> Maybe when you are honest, you realize your whole life revolves around yourself. You really don't do very much for anybody else. And Jesus wants to set you free from yourself to serve others in love, in your family, in your church, in your community. Maybe it's just that sense of selfishness with your time, with your gifts. Maybe it's selfishness with your money. Maybe that you just like to keep control of your own money and you haven't come to the point of realizing that giving to God sets you free to recognize his blessing that everything comes from him and, and opens you for his doors of blessing in your life. But you're, you're under a yoke of slavery of just self-centeredness with your financial life. Maybe it's the uh, sense of self-sufficiency. Some of these are very subtle. Oh, I can get by through life on my own. I really don't need anybody. Such a lie. <laughs> Jesus says, you're a member of the body of Christ. You need each other. We need each other. But maybe you think, well, that's for other people. I, 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 I can kind of get by on my own. Uh, self-sufficiency, self-independence. Maybe you need to be freed from that. Maybe it's just... To be honest, a rebellious spirit. You need to be set free from that because you know what God has called you to do, but you're just not willing to do it. And you're just saying, no, God, instead of yes, God. And um, all of these are things that we all struggle with. You are part of a church family. This is not just you. This is all of us. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you and me, I want to set you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Live that freedom, walk in that freedom, enjoy that freedom, share that freedom. And um, these are things that he wants to set you free for in your life and set free in my life. So as you contemplate that in your own heart, let me just lift a prayer and then the worship team will lead us in a song. We'll be powerful this morning, but our prayer again is that over this series, the Holy Spirit would be speaking to us and empowering us. For some of us, it might be for the first time. Yeah, I realize now. It's about Jesus, what he did on the cross, and not anything in addition to that. That's what I'm trusting in, and we would encourage you to make that decision. But on top of that, it's also allowing the Holy Spirit to set us free from things that would hold us in bondage, in slavery, and experience the full freedom of the Spirit in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to your messenger, Paul, that comes to us fresh and alive through your spirit in this year and in this month and in this day. As we open our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us by your spirit about, first of all, yes, trusting you fully with the gospel of grace, recognizing that Christ paid the full price on the cross and we cannot add anything to it, any works, any performance, any element of the law, but just accept fully what Jesus has done for us. And with grateful hearts, Lord, to receive through your spirit the power to live in freedom, to live out that freedom that you desire in every area of our life. We look forward to what you will do as we open our hearts to you and trust you and walk in your freedom and in your spirit. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Check, check. Let's stand as we worship. Oh, I am a child of God. 
Amen. As we remember that this week, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Don't forget, there's food in the back. Go eat and be filled. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>